if you had somebody whipping you and saying, drop and give me 10 push-ups, you would feel oppressed. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you paid somebody to mm -hmm. do the same thing, if they didn't do a good job, you would, you know, be upset at them. I'm paying you to force me to exercise. <laughs> Why can't we apply the same logic to our, to our neshama? From the moment we are born, the story of our lives begins to be written. This is Chapters, a podcast dedicated to exploring our story. Who am I and what am I meant to be doing in this world? Perhaps through listening, understanding, questioning, we better understand our own story. Chayla Tsukanik, a phenomenal educator with the gift of transferring and explaining Hasidus in a palatable, relatable manner, and of course, a very good friend. It's an honor to have you tonight. So let's start from the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got your love of Hasidus? What was your childhood like? Like, I have the honor to know you, and you're probably one of the most normal, down-to-earth people I've ever met in my life, but you have such a wealth of knowledge. Um, I hope I don't embarrass you too much, but... <laughs> If you can just give us a rundown, how did Chayla Tzukanik become Chayla Tzukanik? Hey, Hannah. It's so good to be here. I'm very touched. And I appreciate the constant confidence booster that I get from being your friend. I'm a big fan. I don't, I don't know if I could put a date on it, but there was definitely a point in time where I fell in love with Hasidus. I was definitely the kind of child that was thinking a lot about things and asking a lot of questions. And I'm very grateful that I have very patient parents and a lot of my Friday nights were spent hashing out all my existential questions with my father. And that's obviously my informal introduction to the perspective of Hasidus and I really felt like there wasn't a question that I couldn't ask and there wasn't a question that didn't open up a whole world of depth and meaning about our existence. So that gave me the interest and there was a little bit of formal Hasidus learning in my school, but not so much. So I somehow got hold of, on the old-fashioned iPods, Rabbi Yassi Jacobson's Shiorim on Samachvav that he was teaching maybe to some Yeshiva Bachrim, I don't even know. And I used to spend my afternoons listening to those. And it was honestly just fun. It was something that I did for pleasure and enjoyment. No one was telling me to do it or making me do it. I just wanted to. And there was also a Tanya share for older women that I used to attend. It was also outside of the school environment. And I just found it so fascinating and interesting and empowering. I guess in a certain sense, the rest is history. Like once you meet Hasidus, there's, there's no going back. So then I was really inspired to be somebody that could bring that to people. And one of my favorite things is when I am teaching a class of students and we broach a question, a challenge, and I saw, see as we explore the Hasidus angle, I see the light turn on in their eyes. 
that's what I love doing. So what, now that I can ask you anything I want to ask you, <laughs> what is Hasidus? Like when you say you learn Hasidus, what do you mean? So I'm not going to answer this question um, adequately or justifiably, but I'm going to give my answer. It's not purely mine, but just the answer that I think we can present here, which is it's the core anything you're going to have explanations of what it is and then you're going to have the deepest explanation and Hasidus is always going to get to the heart the root the deepest point of something and that's what I think is so attractive and why we're all so drawn to it because there could be a lot of ways to explore something that are meaningful but nothing hits like the deepest most essential truth about whatever it is we're talking about. And that's what Hasidus is bringing you. The deepest, most essential truth on any given topic. Was there a specific like event? You said the light turned on. We say like Hasidus brings light to our practical lives, but like sometimes it feels like Hasidus is like the opposite of our practical lives. Like our practical lives are like regular shopping, being a normal functional person. And Hasidus is like Atik, Arich, Yom. Like you're learning about really deep, Hasidic concepts and I know through learning with you like I actually saw how something like Atik and Arach and Keser was something that I could apply but that's so rare like how did you come to a place of explaining something so deep in such a practical way the skill I attribute to the teachers that I had I was lucky to learn from really really interesting and good teachers. But I think the notion that Hasidus isn't practical, that's a mistake. I think that's when we don't understand it correctly. Because really, when you're shopping and cooking and waking up in the morning and eating, there should be the sense of what is all of this? At a certain point, we stop and say, why am I doing all of this? What is this? There are a variety of answers. But as we said before, Hasidus is going to give you the deepest answer to that question. So it's actually the most practical because it's going to give me a context for everything that I'm doing, which I think is extremely practical. It's very liberating. It's very meaningful. It changes how I function. That's why maybe people use the example of turning on the light. It's like you're bumping around in this dark room just going about your mundane life. And there isn't really much... I don't want to say much. You could have a very meaningful life, but that's not going to compare to the core meaning of life. So when you when you discover that, it just hits different. So you're cooking and you're shopping and you're asking, like, why am I doing this? I'm just like a random person. There's a billion people. Like, I'm going to die eventually. And, like, <laughs> I was watching these, like, YouTube clips of, like, people from, like, the early 1900s. And they're like, it's colorized on YouTube. I don't know how it came out. There was, like, a related <laughs> video of a related video. And I just saw, saw, like, a bunch of people, like, at the beach, like, fully clothed, wearing suits. And I'm like, okay, that's going to be me one day. Like, why am I problem? My problems are so insignificant. Like, in a 100 years' time, someone's going to find a random video of me walking in the background and that's just going to be my life like sometimes you have these thoughts and then you're like what is Hasidus's answer like we ask these whys what is the answer so the question of significance and value what's going to determine the value of something we're going to measure that based on the purpose that something has right 
we measure value based on how something, how useful something is. So when we establish that there's a mission that God set out to achieve with creation and what role you play in executing that mission is going to suggest your worth and your value of everything that you do. So you're a Jew, that means that you're a key player in this mission. It's actually one of the reasons why I think it's hard for us to face that is because it's overwhelming how important we are. If we really think, for example, about the concept of Bishvili Nivra Olam, how much God is invested and interested in us, it's, it's intimidating. Meaning we want to be important, but we also want to, you know, sometimes go under the radar and it not matter. Everything that you do is absolutely meaningful. That's intense. I feel like whenever we learn my marm, like when the deepest crux of it is at the end, 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 which everyone like sometimes doesn't get to, it's always at the end, like it's not about you. Like the mima goes on about like how special you are in the end. It's like, it's about Hashem, the end of the day. No? Yeah. It's not about you outside of Hashem. What does that mean? It's not about you if you see yourself existing separate from Hashem. To get to the real you is to make it about Hashem. That's how you're going to really discover yourself. Can you like bring that down what, a little bit? What would bit? be an example? When do people really get to know themselves when they have kids? When life becomes completely about somebody else, that's when you really meet yourself, which can be, a, you know, <laughs> a little scary, a little overwhelming, quite intense, right? Marriage is one stage when you start to make it about another person. So then you meet yourself on one level and then incomparable to that, when you have children and you center your life around other people. You, you meet yourself in a different way. So if I'm going to make it about me, I'm going to kind of miss the point because I don't even know who I am. If I'm going to make it about God, then I'm going to really get to know myself, the real me. Because you're on that mission and that brings you the best out of you? Yeah, because I'm, because I'm one with God. I'm a piece of God. I'm in a partnership with God to have a relationship with him in this physical world. Those are going to bring out the my real identity. And when that comes out, then I'll be the best me. Yeah. It's going to if I'm if I'm operating from that space of my true identity as uh, a child of God, a spouse of God, a servant of God, I'm going to be expressing my truest deepest self. That's going to be the best. I'm thinking of sport, like I'm thinking about the fact that like the best players on the teams are the ones that are like playing for the team. Is that You're saying not... like carrying the team? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The best is going to come out of you. So by like living. Oh, you're saying when they play when for they the don't, team. Yeah. When they're committed to playing with their team for their team as part of their team, as opposed to. As an individual. As an individual. Yeah. We all know that when we're just focusing on ourselves, it's, it's very distracting. It's depressing. It doesn't, it doesn't end well. So in some ways, chassidus is obvious. It's showing what's obvious, but it's like giving us... Yeah, I think in a, in a certain sense, it's like when the Baal Shem Tov's father told him, you know, these are, these are the two things you need to know. Fear nobody except Hashem, which is basically Hashem is the only thing that exists and love every Jew with all of your heart. Those are 
incredibly simple statements and truths. Very difficult to to implement, but not truth is simple, not in the way that we talk about simple being shallow, but truth is simple because it's pure, it's not complex. If it's sounding too complicated, too confusing, something's not right. So what happens when we feel confused? Like at the end of the day, everyone feels some complicated feelings and relationships to Yiddish guy. Yeah, exactly. Good point. So where do, is that is that confusion, that complexity, is it inherent to the relationship or is it a distortion of the relationship? And obviously it's going to be a distortion. But are those things not true? Like if you do, like, not I'm saying if you do the wrong thing, but like we sort of have this perception. It's not, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It's a way that we're educated and taught. I heard a great line from Rivka Slanim. I don't, know, I don't know if she was quoting it from somewhere else. I think she was, but I don't remember who she was quoting. She said, man was created in God's image. And ever since, we've been ret- trying to return the favor. <laughs> Which I loved because there's so much projection onto Hashem, onto God. In general, right? What we, we, we project, if I think a certain insecure thought about myself, probably you're thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about apples. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> So you come into the interaction with all this complexity and and you're all twisted and bent out of shape because you have this whole insecure thought that you have assumed I'm having about you and I'm just not. So what does it mean? Like, in um, like, like these things are real. Like, I'm saying my students always ask me in the Torah, it says clearly, like, if you do the right thing, if you do the wrong thing, are those things like not real? Do they not exist? So it's not all projection. Like some of it is written. True, true. But first of all, I think it's important to know that Torah, especially Tanakh, Torah is written in code. It's not meant to be understood as you read it. So it needs a decoding because sometimes we feel like, oh, Hasidus came and made it all fluffy, <laughs> right? I really said this and then Hasidus came and you just like, you know, painted, you know, waved a fairy wand and now you turned it into something else, but you're not being true to the source. That's because we don't understand the nature of the source itself. The nature of the source itself is that it is written in code. It cannot be taken as is, not meant to be. You have to have a lens you have to have an angle with which to look at it from. That already gives you a different appreciation for the what Hasidus is explaining it to you. Without Hasidus, you wouldn't, you can't understand it. You won't understand it. You will misinterpret it. You will start to feel like God is angry and punishing and scary, and I must feel, you know, pressured and guilted if I just read it, you know, as is, with no preparation or explanation so that's i think important to bear in mind and also somehow if you tell a woman if you smoke and drink while you're pregnant it could negatively affect your child her response is not typically going to be why are you punishing me it's just like oh that makes sense if i put something toxic into my body while i'm building another human who's who's being nourished off everything that's 
inside of me. That's going to go through to them. That's negatively going to affect them. We accept that it's very simply. So offer a, a woman alcohol when she's pregnant, she'll most likely decline it. And she's not going to say like, it's just like, you know, maybe she'll say, I miss it. I want to drink. But there's a certain sense of, there's a certain sense of I'm, I'm, in, I'm involved in something very, very important and I don't want to mess it up with mm -hmm. drinking this. It has consequences that I'm not interested. So when Tara talks about the spiritual consequences of internalizing negative energy, why would it be any different? I always think about how curries, everyone gets like so stressed out about the word curries. I'm not saying it's not scary, but if anything, curries is the least scary one. <laughs> like, <laughs> why? All the other ones like strangulation, get thrown <laughs> off the hill. <laughs> skill out like Kairos is like Hashem decides to cut you off I'm like okay that one sounds really manageable like in a way it's like oh this is Hashem's court if Hashem's in charge over here like Hashem's the best judge ever Hashem's gonna do whatever it takes to get me out of this judgment like <laughs> more than people of flesh and blood <laughs> Hashem will find a way He'll find a way to get me out of this situation he'll definitely find a way yeah no, it is true. Like there are so many projections of like the way we perceive Hashem and we think like Hashem is like we give Hashem our parents or our teachers. Like Hashem became our parent and our teacher because our parent and our teacher said like, if you do this, if you do that. So we just like transferred all that negative energy onto Hashem. And now like we feel that negative like perceptions of Hashem. Yeah. And also because we relate first to physicality. So the idea that in, in the physical world, there's natural consequences. If I eat too much, I'll feel sick. Um, if I don't eat enough, I'll feel sick. If I don't sleep enough, I won't feel good. That's all very natural to us. We relate to that very easily. Spirituality feels a little bit more distant. So the fact that in the spiritual realm, it's exactly the same thing. There's consequences. And the Rebbe said it. The same way your body needs to eat and sleep, your neshama needs to eat and sleep. What Eat and sleep is for the neshama, is Torah and mitzvahs, or halacha, everything that is in a Jew's life. So, again, the perspective is so important, right? If I just simplify it, these are the needs of my body, these are the needs of my soul. I won't feel good if my body isn't nourished. I won't feel good if my soul isn't nourished. But what if your soul, obviously it's your animal soul, but like, what if that certain thing just doesn't make you feel good? So again, you, you give me a give me a physical example where that's true. There are so many things that like we I know because I'm always like for bringing about it, and then at a certain point, like in my real practical life, life I'm like, oh, that certain thing actually makes me miserable. Like I don't wear a shaitzel, but the amount of women that are like, I can't. This makes me so miserable. Like how could a mitzvah daraisa that is the only mitzvah specifically designated for women that brings all the brachas? And everyone talks about how special it is at a certain point. It's like there are people that obviously film and wigs nowadays have never been nicer. And yet you can sit around at your Shabbos table and hear a bunch of women complaining about their wig. How does that come hand in hand? Is tar the tar is the best for us and we're meant to feel it? It's a great example. I think that if we give a not religious example first, because we, we all get a little sensitive emotional. with emotional. <laughs> So if we give an example, what's something in your physical care that you dislike, but understand that you need to do? Mm, I like that. Like kids hate brushing their teeth. 
So it could be anything. For a kid, it could be brushing the teeth. For adult, it could be exercise, right? Some people, myself included, included, I don't enjoy exercise. Mm-hmm. And I wish I did. How convenient would it be if I enjoyed <laughs> exercising? Because it's very important. I, you need it for a lot of things. As you age, you need it more and more and more. It becomes more and more important to age in a healthy way, exercise. And I don't enjoy it. And I'm like, maybe I'll enjoy it today. And no, it just doesn't. So I'm, I'm not running to do it. It just is. It's not like, oh my gosh, I have this burden of exercise. Meaning we can talk about our preferences. Like I like it. I don't like it. I'm more motivated. I'm less motivated. But when we talk about exercise, it doesn't sound like the way we're talking about when we talk about shaitals. Mm-hmm. So what if we could apply that? There will be things, again, that your soul needs. Some you'll like and some you won't like. Right? Some people feel very grateful for their shaitals because for whatever reason, they don't like their hair. What, you don't have to take care of your hair. You can just get your shaital done and it's going to stay. There's ways that people, there are people that like the mitzvah. And maybe there's a different mitzvah that doesn't feel as appealing to them. When we create a separation between us and it, it's this thing that's imposed upon us. If you had somebody whipping you and saying, give me 10, you know, drop and give me 10 push-ups, you would feel oppressed. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you paid somebody to mm-hmm. do the same thing, if they didn't do a good job, you would, you know, be upset at them. I'm paying you to force me to exercise. <laughs> Why can't we apply the same logic to our, to our neshama? Your soul needs this. And then the Rebbe very much shared with us as much as possible that your soul's health is also your body's health. It can't be separated. Mm-hmm. So a, a woman who wrote to the Rebbe that that her shaitel is giving her headaches, the Rebbe will tell her you're getting headaches because of the times that you're not wearing your shaitel. Turn the whole thing the other way around. We underestimate how much our experience is affected by our perspective. Have you had that experience where you've had the same, gone through the same motion, but with a different perspective and had a different experience? I think that was like my biggest lesson. I came back to New York with like a perspective that I was doing the same thing. So crazy when you're doing the exact same thing and you should have a different perspective of it. Like you could be teaching the same class, you you can be going to the same job, you you can be hanging out with the same friends. I think the most you see is with your family, Because like family, you can't really switch up. Like those are things that you actually have to change your perspective. You have to be tolerant. You have to teach yourself and have that perspective. And it's crazy how like with a different mindset, your entire reality has changed. I think reality, this might sound very radical, but I think it's true. I think reality doesn't really exist. I think it's all about our perceptions of it. Maybe it's not radical. It's not radical. With that brings us to why it's so crucial to have the Hasidic perspective, because what is what is the one true reality? There, there is an objective truth. There is an objective truth. I want to be aligned with that. But like what happens? Okay, we say there's an objective truth and the objective truth is Hashem. Yeah, and Hasidus is a communication of Hashem's perspective. But isn't it within Hasidus there's different perspectives or is it one? But what, what do you mean? I don't know about Hasidus, but in Judaism in general, there's so many different perspectives. So is Hasidus, like, when we say Hasidus, we're saying, like, Lubavitch Hasidus is the soul perspective. Like, if we learn it and 
swallow it and become one with it, we will have the objective truth. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, we are saying that. 100%. Chabad Hasidus? Yeah. It's the objective truth. We're not, we're, not, we're not saying that everyone has to, everyone has to be culturally Chabad. We're not saying that everyone has to have do Chabad Minhagim. You could be Svaradi. You could have a whole different set of, you could have a different Nusach. But the perspective of Chabad Hasidus... Which starts from the Tanya. Starts from, yeah. Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov, as I think communicated mostly by the Altar Rebbe. And then the Rebbe to follow. The Tanya, Tara Ar, Lakote Tara. Then going through all the Rebbe I don't think anybody who's learned Hasidus feels offended by that. I mean, that's like just a very broad statement. People can feel offended by all sorts of things. But I'm saying... I don't think, I think most people who have had a genuine encounter with Chabad Hasidus and how it explains Torah and reality will feel like it's giving them truth in its purest form. So according to Hasidus, if, if Hasidus tells you the truth, the objective truth of what is Hashem, what is Hashem? Like, I know that's a very big question. Like you said that we have all this like angst that we put on Hashem. We project on Hashem. We say like, if we do the wrong thing, we feel guilty. Like straight away we feel guilty because like we've attributed and projected like our parents, our teachers, the way we've grown up and we've projected all on Hashem. So every time we do something wrong, we think it's Hashem. But Hasidus tells us it's not about the reality. It's not about the angst from your teacher in high school 10 years ago. This is the truth. I think there's a switch, like a turn that has to happen where when we start out, we feel like, okay, I'm the beginning and then I base things on me because I started with myself. The way Hasidus puts it is, like I'm obvious, God is a question. Like, is he there? Who is he? What is he? Like, you know, I'll maybe give him some exploration i know i'm here like that's for certain and i'm real and i'm true and then i don't know where god fits into that necessarily or if he does sometimes he fits in more sometimes he fits in less and when you are taking the correct perspective you're going which is god is obvious he's the only real thing there is and then the question becomes well who am i and where do i fit in God is, he is, right? The Rambam, right? He is the true, the one true existence. So now the question is how, who am I? Where do I fit into that? That's what I've got to figure out. Yeah, I think the Rambam says that you should never end off with a question. But in Shari Chavem Mana, the Altarba ends off one of the Prakim, I don't remember. But he ends off with talking about like our world, like the existence of our world. And he ends with a question. So I remember I had a teacher that said, how could the Altarba end with a question? You're not allowed to end something with a question. It leads people to like think like, you should always like have an answer. Feels unresolved. Feels unresolved and it leads people, I think the Rambam said, it leads people to like lose their Judaism in a sense. Feel like there is no resolve. And my teacher said that, what do you mean? To have a question of where is Hashem, you can never end like that. But to ask, to end off with a question of like, is there a world? Is there a world? Are we living in the world? Of course you can end with the question. Like that should be the question. We should be asking ourselves, is our reality the true reality? Is the way we see it? I think in a practical way, sometimes it sounds really far off, but I think it's like what you said. 
like so often we're feeling offended, even like in high school, not even in high school as adults. We think that the reality that we are living in, it's our version of it. It's 100% our version of it. Every single thing that we are consuming is our perspective. You can go to the same restaurant. I went to an amazing restaurant last night. I thought it was great. My friend's husband's brother said it was horrible. At the end of the day, everything is subjective. Our friendship's subjective. I can think she's the great, greatest person ever. You can go on a date with the same person and two people can have completely different perspectives on the person. Colors, taste, clothes, fashion, everything is subjective. So our world, to question whether our world exists or not, it's not so crazy because our world is all a figment of the way we perceive it. Yeah, and then and then if it's not working for me, if it's feeling miserable and uncomfortable and heavy, draining and overwhelming, then I want to question what are the perspectives, what are the beliefs that I'm operating from and how in line are they with objective truth and what needs, what needs correction? What needs, what needs to be adjusted? So what is objective truth? What is Hashem in its objective truth? Is it, is it the fluffiness? Is it, what is it? If we, if we knew him, we would be him, right? But what am I meant to be like so what, channeling? So what, what's true about him that I want to know that I want to use as my base to function from. Let's bring it to the, the timing that we're in now. Why is this time period so difficult for people? Rosh Hashanah, Sarah Yom Kippur. Feel stressful. Why is it stressful? Me, the kids, I feel like the kids, I... <laughs> it feel, it's a, it could feel very heavy. God has all these expectations, all these rules. Now's a time for me to assess how well my performance we are very hard on ourselves. We don't ever feel like we've done enough. We're doing good enough. So the whole thing just becomes Stressful. exhausting. And then we kind of want to give up. So let's say I'm taking the Baal Shem Tov's, the Baal Shem Tov's description of Hashem and a Jew's relationship. So Hashem loves a Jew the way parents would love an only child that it took them many years to have. And even that love is a drop in the bucket. It's not, you can't compare it to how much God loves a Jew. Let's say that's my starting point. Where's the stress? You know, we talk about how Teshuva is Tosh of Hay, right? It's returning to Hashem. What if we made the experience about returning to the truth of who Hashem is and the truth of our relationship, which is a relationship of unconditional love, a relationship where Hashem is invested and interested and wanting deeply to connect with us and wanting us to connect with Him from a place of choice. It's a lot of unlearning and relearning. Yeah. I think for some more than others, right, there's different degrees to which it's been distorted for different people could be for a number of reasons, their education or going through difficult life experiences, which they interpreted to mean certain things about themselves, right? Psychologically or a whole variety of reasons why things get distorted. I had a teacher who said, our intimacy with God is all messed up. 
and we have to straighten it out. I always say it's like um, in Facebook back in the day, we would write when we were kids, like, relationship, it's complicated. <laughs> that's like, that's the way we see Hashem. And then when you look inside Hasidus and you learn my Marim, like, I couldn't believe it. It's sad. I have to say, like, I went through the system. I went to Chidrik. I went to Chayda Chabad. I went to Beis Rifka. I went to Shlucha. Like, all those things. And in some ways, I still hold these, like, distortions of reality, this complication. It's like, it's so crazy. Like, I put my angst, I put my teachers, I put what this one teacher said, like, 14 years ago, like, on Hashem, I project. Then you open up. Like actual Hasidus, like literally, like you open up. I don't know. I can say my favorite mime was Ani Ladaidi because I was born in Elul and I'm like obsessed with it. But just the way the Rebbe speaks about like love and how much Hashem loves you, even if you're in a desert, I couldn't believe it. Like, and I was teaching it and the girls couldn't believe it. Like it was, it was, it was sad how shocking it was. I think it's also shocking because let's say, it didn't get distorted. It's still shocking. It's still shocking that Hashem loves us so much. So we're going to keep coming back to it and questioning it and re-internalizing it again and again, which is why we can do this every year and it will never get boring. Even in, even in human relationships, the idea that a spouse has chosen to love you to really deeply accept that and receive that love or even the love of your parents to really receive how much your parents love you. It's vulnerable. It's, it's hard. It's confusing. We don't, we, again, we project our insecurities. I'm not that lovable. And Elo comes before Rosh Hashanah and comes before Aserah and comes before Yom Kippur to establish the context that this whole process is in. Mm-hmm. It's a context of a God, a Hashem that is deeply, deeply in love with you. And this is about clearing whatever's getting in the way from that connection being one of real, real joy. So when there's a reframing of our relationship, then even the nitty gritty, the annoying things feel different. They, they, they land differently. It's not oppressive. This is, this is a, as we say in today's language, it's a curated experience. It's been designed in a very thorough and thought out way to cultivate this relationship. I was discussing this with someone recently, how powerful marketing is. Mm-hmm. The magic, right, is all in the marketing. We, and we are very... Um, We're very responsive Mm -hmm. to how things are marketed. Extremely. So what if we marketed Judaism to ourselves in that way? I think it comes from ourselves, though. I think it comes from our low self-esteem. Like, I honestly think we are so, I can say for myself, we are so highly critical. Like, so highly critical. And the voice, we attribute our anxiety Like I was speaking to my friend and I was like, remember we were such goody goodies about this and this and that. And there were girls that were not like in seminary, like we were so goody goody. And she was like, Hannah, we weren't goody goody. We were just anxious. (laughs) And I was like, it was such a realization. I was like, that is so true. We weren't like, 
oh, this is the right, we were scared to do the wrong thing because if we did the thing that we weren't meant to do in seminary, we felt anxious about it. And I think we do that with Hashem. When we like attempt to do the wrong thing or something, we think it's like a protection. We think the critique is Hashem protecting us. When really it's just like Hashem fully accepts you. And I think that's what Ani Lodaidi meant, like why it meant so much to me, why it meant so much to my students. Because he was saying, even if you're in a desert, Hashem accepts you. Hashem is Hashem has Tainuk Bilti Mugbal, Morkav. Just because Hashem loves you unconditionally for nothing that you do. For only the tar, not even for tar, like for no tar mitzvah, Hashem loves you because you're his child. And like, it was so shocking to read it. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, because we attribute, we, we see the way, oh, I love this person because of the things they do to me, do for me. And we keep on like projecting our perception of Hashem because we can't find a place in ourselves where we accept ourselves. Because we don't accept ourselves, we can't understand how Hashem could, there is a concept of acceptance. Hashem doesn't, you don't need to do anything for Hashem to love you. Yeah. That's very hard for us to wrap our head around. And I think that's part of what Chuva is, to to internalize that. In it's on my mind because uh, we we're learning it in 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 class Parak Memalaf when the altar of says that Chayav Adam Laimar Bishvili Nivra thinking about the fact that the world would have been worth it for Hashem Hashem feels like just one Jew would be worth it for him to create the entire world for just one Jew and the reaction to that is continue the altar continues on the response to that is I want to serve him. I want to do what he wants. So it's 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 an it's just a natural it flows naturally from that space. It doesn't feel like I'm placing things upon myself. There's him and me and because he's Hashem and I'm his creation and he set up this whole system for us to connect with each other. I want in on that. And then I'm feeling, where where does regret come in? I'm feeling disappointed that I had so many missed opportunities, that I was in the dark, that I didn't get it. He was there. It's like FOMO, right? Like I missed out. So that's that's where the regret comes from. It's not guilt. We don't use the word guilt. We use the word regret. Regret is a missed opportunity. We had all these opportunities to connect, and I was just I was just out to lunch. I wasn't there for them. Like, shoot. It's like people, you'll feel that in your relationship, right? If you had, if your spouse reaches out, there's an opportunity to connect and you're not available for some reason and you realize afterwards, like, that was an initiation. I missed it. It's like, it's disappointing. It's frustrating. I, re- I regret not being available. We could have hung out. It's just so different. Yeah, I think, I think it's so important. Like, instead of me thinking, like, I think this time of year, what was like, this year is going to be the best year ever. Like, I'm going to do so many mitzvahs. It's going to be incredible. And then, like, as the year goes on, we sort of, like, drip, drip, drip out of it. But I think this year, I really, I think the most important foundational, it's not a joke. It's the truth 
that you need to realize that Hashem accepts you as you are. And when you feel accepted, you'll see a whole different version of yourself. Like when I accept myself, I can see it for myself. People are scared of the Hashem that loves you because they think it's too fluffy. They think what's going to happen if everyone's just like, oh, God loves me, everything's good. And in some ways, unfortunately, we've put a lot of fear. Like you said, people are inspired by Gavora. Yeah, the, the, the idea that if we talk too much about um, how much Hashem loves you, it will bring people to, you know, carelessness. I don't see that. I don't see that happening. I don't see how that's possible. If you really internalize how much you mean to Hashem, there's an, there is an automatic sense of responsibility that flows out of that, but not pressure. Like you just said, it's more likely to be sustainable when I'm coming from a place of feeling loved and accepted than I'm free to do if I'm fighting for my worth, mm-hmm. then I'm just going to get exhausted. So it's going to be very temporary. It's literally a fact. It's not even like an interesting observation. If you work in an environment where you have to, you feel like you need to prove yourself or like your perception of it is that you need to prove yourself, you're constantly critical. That's not going to get you anywhere. You'll work very hard initially and then you'll give up and you'll be resentful. A hundred percent. So, which is what we do with Hashem, right? We try hard and then we get all resentful. But that's because we started off completely operating from the wrong angle foundation, mm-hmm. which is there is a relationship that exists. And there's a part of us, which I think is also important, there's a part of us that is aware of this truth. It's not a truth that we have, like, because you were said, you said there's a lot of unlearning. It's true, but that's again where the the the, the tush of the returning. It's it's returning to a truth that you are intimately, essentially familiar with. Mm-hmm. It should feel like I'm coming home. It's not coming to a new place that I've never seen before. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, this feels right. This feels this this is really me. Mm-hmm. Like this is now I'm really being myself. Mm-hmm. So. There's things that have covered up that part of me, so I'm just getting them out of the way. But I'm not I'm not going somewhere else. I'm not discovering a new experience outside of myself that I'm completely unfamiliar with. It, it, it feels familiar. If you really are aligning yourself with the objective truth about who Hashem is and how He sees us, it rings true because we know that. We know that. Anushama knows that Anushama experiences that there's a part of us that always is in touch with that we want to get the rest of ourselves on board on board I'm actually excited I'm feeling motivated (laughs) it starts from really accepting ourselves when we accept ourselves and realize Hashem fully accepts us that's when you feel the most comfortable and Teshuvah is Hashem saying, I want this to work. I want this relationship to work. I'm ready for a sincere commitment to start again. We'll put aside what was. New, new page, new page. Let's, let's, let's start again from the place of how much we both care to make this work. I'm ready to make it work. Thank you so much, Kyla. I really appreciate all your time. 
Thanks for having me. And I'm really excited. Wishing you all Gemar Chasim May we realize how much Hashem loves us, accept ourselves, recognize that Hashem always accepts us. L'chaim. L'chaim.